Welcome to episode 16 of the Noted Bitcoin Podcast. We are very fortunate to have Johnny Dilly on. He is a Bitcoin Core contributor and just OG Bitcoin dev in general. I have my co-host, Michael Goldstein. Michael, how are you? Doing great. Uh, Johnny, how are you? Good, and thanks for having me, guys. I, I appreciate the time. I think this will be fun. I'm, I'm not going to be quite as exuberant as I usually am, because like I said, I have a pretty bad cold, but you know, I'll do my best. <laughs> quite all right. It sets uh, us up for a part two already, so that's oh, good. Cool. Yeah, we'll have you. We'll definitely have you back on. <laughs> uh, and I met Johnny at the Blockstream party, Dragon's uh, Dragon Energy party, uh, which was kind of part of the "quote unquote" blockchain week in New York City. Uh, and I was blown away by the conversation we were having, uh, and I instantly knew that I needed to have Johnny on the show to talk about what his focus is. The the drum he's been beating among Bitcoin core developers uh, and where he thinks we should be prioritizing uh, development and research. Leave it to Samson to throw a party called Dragon Energy. <laughs> but it was, no, it was, it was really fun. A, lo- a lot of people were there. I, I, I was talking about how like, I'm a major proponent of fungibility and improving the fungibility of the system. I think, I think Bitcoin has like, a uh, strong enough minimum fungibility, strong enough minimum censorship resistance to persist in the world as a sound money. Um, but obviously improvements to it uh, improve its use across a whole number of use cases. Uh, so as I was saying, I've been kind of beating the drums recently to try and see if we can get to a world where lightning transactions, L2 transactions, strong federation transactions like liquid otherwise, uh, whenever they are, whenever a channel is opened or a channel is closed, uh, it would be ideal if those channel opens and channel closes were always coin joins. Do you want to get into what a coin join is? Yeah. So the, the idea, uh, maybe it's better if we start first with um, the point of having censorship resistance is to ensure that the conditions by which money is spent are that the history of the money and what it was previously used in isn't important for the receiver of the money in the current uh, in the current moment. So, under conditions where the jurisdictional mandate of the person or the place where the transaction is occurring, under the conditions where the government cares about the previous history of the money. Bitcoin is advancing into a future where the previous history will increasingly be used against it in like exchange transactions uh, and person-to-person transactions under some conditions. Basically meaning that uh, if you're spending a Bitcoin that had once touched the, the Silk Road or something like that, even though you may have had absolutely nothing to do that, it would be held against you uh, that you're even coming near such drug money, despite you know most twenty dollar bills being totally laden with cocaine and yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, we actually already see um, the war on cash is already happening. Europe has like a twenty twenty five or twenty thirty goal to get rid of cash. It's not really talked about. Uh, a number of the specific nations are are waging war on cash right now because cash itself empowers users. You know, money as free speech, essentially, to do whatever they want outside of the necessary uh, framework of law. So whether or not that's a good thing is a philosophical question. Uh, personally, I think that the fact that the government thinks that they can regulate commerce in that fashion is kind of absurd. But that's a much more philosophical question. More to Bitcoin meeting the minimum bar to qualify as cash 
what coin joins will do, Pierre, is they'll empower uh, the the money essentially gets washed or mixed or or blended with other transactions that have similar characteristics. And as a result, uh, the outputs or the inputs of those transactions stop uh, they stop necessarily corresponding to the, uh, the the person broadcasting the transaction or the uh, or the wallet associated with a specific person. So uh, I'll give you an example. If we could make the default behavior of Lightning be that whenever you're about to fund a channel or start a channel or splice into a channel, the the founding the the, the the instantiation transaction finds similar instantiation transactions from other people and then concurrently the group of people splice into or create a new a new channel relationships with the same party or different parties uh, then a passive observer or even reasonably not not ultimate attackers but reasonable adversaries will have trouble following the the transitive path of the funds to the specific splice, uh, the specific channel instance, uh, uh, instances. So, for example, if the three of us all participate in the same lightning instantiation and we make three new channel relationships, uh, it's not necessary that um, uh, an, a, an adversary will know which of us took which channel relationship. And now all pending transactions from those three channels could be the result of any of us. And it, it makes it, – it's like a, it's a super linear um, cost increase to, uh, to passive observance. Which uh, pieces of information with the instantiation of the channel needs to be uh, similar across each instantiation? Does it just need to be that – you're opening a channel of X amount, or does it also have to be you're opening a channel of X amount with the same person? So unfortunately, we don't have the the kind of obfuscation conditions that, say, a strong federation running CT or CA or Monero does. Um, so we don't we don't have the obfuscated amounts. So amounts will always leak, but. What you could do is you could do a coordinated action amongst three, five, 10, 50, 100 people, whatever. And the coordinated action could say everyone is going to create one channel of the same type with, di- with a different person or with the same person, and they'll all have the same amount. So let's say Pierre wants to get 10 Bitcoin into the um, – into the, the Lightning Network or L2, I want to get five and you want to get five, okay? So we can all agree that what's going to happen is we could make four channels of five and now no one knows who's anyone's channel is or any output is unless you have an active observer who's managing the, the output relationships because if we do a graph route or a, uh, a mass transaction that has the three of us enter into one aggregate signature and then it creates the splice as a result of that aggregate signature, We'll know because we actually have the channel relationships open inside, like, you know, protected space. We'll know who's what opens we've done. But to the outside observer, all they will have seen is that four channels have opened and they're all the same size. And you could change you could change that dynamic uh, to basically defend against a whole bunch of active attacks because you could say have 50 participants and all of us create, you know, uh, a third of a Bitcoin opens and then any change left over is just is is either change is discarded in the sense that it doesn't open a transaction or change creates a, uh, a secondary splice or, or secondary instantiation. And that secondary instantiation is mapped to um, just the one specific person who opens for the change or whatever. Um, that was a lot of information. Uh, so feel free to ask any questions. Well, it does help me understand what 
these new technologies are enabling. Because when I was reading the description of Mast, I was like, well, this is nice, but practically speaking, I just don't know that we have a need for a complicated, uh, you know, set of conditions for spending an output like this. So what it does is it makes it substantially easier for someone to build an application with function calls that result in that. So you could build that. You, you could build that application externally to, to Bitcoin right now. Okay. But the problem is, is you'd have to put a lot of the coordination mechanisms and a lot of the um, signature function calls in the application layer. And as a result, it would require a lot of coordination at the application layer versus um, kind of offshoring it or leveraging Bitcoin to enable that coordination function. So uh, you could think of it as the secondary application could be used for the coordination of several single signature actions such that everyone's actions, when they are placed in a block, equivalently output the same kind of um, function such that they all participate in a coin join like or a uh, aggregate signature like function that results in a bunch of lightning actions or L2 actions. But that would require that the application layer have a lot of functionality that could take substantial amount of engineering to do and would be very easy to get wrong versus if you have the capabilities in uh, within bitcoin it can become default behavior for how those secondary applications interact with bitcoin got it and how have other devs been responding to this are they do they see this as being a too far off to be excited about today or uh, is there focus elsewhere or are they excited about it so no, mass mass is super cool. Everyone's pretty stoked about it. Um, the part of the problem is is the transition between getting people to leverage those kinds of higher order interesting things like coin joins on by default, coin joins out by on by default. Uh, it's a lot of work on on a whole bunch of fronts. And you know we we when it comes to Bitcoin Core. When it comes to Bitcoin itself, uh, the, the methodology often is like you have to do better than NASA because any bug can be catastrophic. Uh, so we're probably the most conservative software institution in the world when it comes uh, as a result of that. Um, so, for example, we had several working mast implementations, uh, including Mark Friedenbox, which was very well done. But... Uh, ultimately, we ended up uh, putting a pause on most of those because Graphroot was and Taproot were just so much more compelling, um, particularly because of their uh, compatibility with Mimblewimble and uh, their compatibility with uh, just higher order scripts. It's it's just it. I I don't know. I couldn't give you a timeline on on to a soft fork. Uh, if I if I was placing bets on which soft fork will get proposed next, it's probably going to be the um, the Null Sig one, the Christian Decker proposal. Uh, because of its improvements to L2, but I I, I would eventually see uh, th these kinds of aggregate signature functions getting put into Bitcoin within I'd say within two years is is an easy enough um, is an easy enough bet. For, from a governance perspective, do you think that we're going to continue doing soft forks with minor activation, or are we going to start doing more user activated soft forks? Uh, so that's almost a political question. <laughs> um, I, I think that if you gauge the temperament right now, because of the transition we had 
in the community as a result of the Bcash splinter. I think that the next soft fork, maybe even the next two soft forks, as long as they don't speak to ballooning the cost of transactions. So like if, for example, if we were, tr- if we tried to ship confidential transactions, the next soft fork, we'd have a problem. But uh, since we're not, that's not a plan or isn't the plan right now. Um, I don't see the next soft fork being contentious. I just, I think it's, I think it's just an, uh, it's a normal upgrade. Um, now, if your question is about the next contentious soft fork, it'll be something that has costs. Um and I don't, I don't think, I don't think anyone is advocating for that right now. Um, so, because aggregated signatures and Schnorr is like another seventeen percent savings or nineteen percent savings, I think maybe as much as thirty three percent if everyone was using multisig. So it, it just doesn't have any negatives other than the the minor technical uh, overhead associated with bumping your Bitcoin Core and um, and for miners advancing their uh, whatever their checkbox sig or whatever or block construction methodology is so i i don't i don't know what would be my answer but i don't think it'll be contentious so i don't think any kind of user mediated approach is necessary not that i think that necessarily it is it's a good thing it could be and under some conditions user mediated approaches are but i can see how they can be leveraged against the community as well so i i'm not a strong advocate either way my answer. Gotcha. And earlier you had mentioned uh, Graphroot and Taproot. Um, I've, I've heard those words. I've tried to read descriptions of it and they flew over my head. Do you want to get into this? Um, so I actually haven't been following them a bunch. They're basically just, um, they're just higher order scripting methodologies in Bitcoin that support aggregated signature relationships. The idea being is that you can uh, create, manage, and add to or subtract from current signature states uh, that are live or, or create them, so make them alive. And as a result, you can do a lot of really cool things with things that are um, active. So like uh, the easiest example of this is splicing. So the original methodology in Lightning didn't allow for you to add from or remove from a active channel relationship or channel relationships without the without collapsing the channel and then creating a new one. Um, but with Graphroot, uh, we can do something that Christian Decker and I called splicing, which is where we can you can take an active multi-signature arrange, arrangement or an active multi-channel arrangement or an active signal channel arrangement, and you can add to or subtract from the total funds in the uh, the channel without having to close or open a new channel. Um, and, uh, and if you think about it from like a height-mediated state, it's that the multi-signature arrangement that facilitated the implementation of the channel in the first place had supported heights to the signature state such that you could change the height or change um, change the signature state uh, to to change the state of the channel proper. So so you don't need any on-chain transaction to increase the capacity of a channel? Did I understand that right? No, no, no. So that, that would be, that instance would be a, um, a on-channel transaction, but an on-chain transaction, but uh, it does not require a collapse and then regeneration channel. So you can think of it as like a half. You, you can have the requirements of changing a channel state. Just uh, 50% improvements in Bitcoin are a win. Like that's a big win. <laughs> like 
we we ran out of 50% improvements a long time ago for like for initial block download time and stuff like that. We're getting 10% is like a, is like a, everyone gives you a huge thumbs up. <laughs> so 50% is fantastic. And that's, that's real scaling. Like when, when people talk about scaling, uh, often it's just like, oh, let's just change this one variable. Uh, and it's really, it's, it's still the same, like big O notation. Uh, they're just increasing, you know, the block size limit or whatever. Yeah. I mean, so Peter, Todd, and I don't usually get along, but I mean, I agree. Bitcoin doesn't really scale in the sense that you can't like, you cannot hold, you can't hold raw conditions that Bitcoin requires um, constant and uh, and onboard an infinite number of users, or at least not without allowing for an infinite amount of time. So um, like in the long run, you could potentially have every human being on the Lightning Network and then using factory arrangements or L2 arrangements, uh, you could process everyone via by, by via some trust. But it doesn't scale in the sense that you can't have every human being on board to Bitcoin all at the same time and actually use raw Bitcoin. It just can't – you can't do that and have any kind of semblance of distribution or censorship resistance inherent to the system. So the message is uh, get in while you can. <laughs> open your chance. Uh, no, I, I, I'm, I'm not. I mean, we're still, if you think about it, we're still three or four halvings out from like actual deflationary conditions. Like what's the, what's deflation right? Inflation in Bitcoin right now is like 4%, right? Like, yeah, it's like 4.29%. So, so we're still like Bangladesh. Like that's about where we are. So it's not, fantastic but it's not bad we're like in the middle of the nation states so everyone forgets the having peer Every, everyone forgets it like they always forget like eventually deflation kicks in and then you have like this six to nine months uh spree where as long as you have constant demand what occurs is oh wait all the supply is gone and then you have a surge and assuming you know you don't have something catastrophic happen to like logarithmic math or assuming like you know something a, a miracle doesn't occur in the altcoin space um it's it's just a function of it's fundam it's fundamentally a better money and those characteristics occur over time but it's fundamentally a better money um so i i, I i'm not cons i'm i'm more concerned about the long-term feasibility of the system than the short-term dynamics of price and, and user adoption so long as you have some you know fixed fixed demand for or some you know variable demand for actual for for btc person use um i think that uh i think that the scale problems over time i i, I care more about usability and, and functionality than i do about scale um i i think that um majority of the population doesn't care or even know about the need for sound money or, or care 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 might be uh that might be a microaggression uh, they they're not capable of being in a position where sound money is something that's useful to them. Uh, so, for example, if your if your day to day earnings are fifteen dollars, fifty dollars, a hundred dollars, and your day to day outflow is fifty dollars or a hundred dollars, you're you're not in a position to create savings. You're not in a position to to have savings, let alone um, let let alone you know dive into the, the fundamentals or dynamics of money so that then it becomes like a 
philosophical and political kind of condition. Like, do we have, do we as Bitcoiners have an obligation to try and help those people? And maybe, but uh, it, it, it's more that it, it's, it's different positioning for different peoples, as I would say. This got philosophical real quick. <laughs> yeah. So to bring it more practical, you know, you're saying your focus is on usability and fungibility obviously is a big part of that because if the government says you can't use it, then you can't use it. But um, what other aspects of usability do you think uh, require more attention in Bitcoin right now? I, I always pound the drum on fungibility first. And I mean, I've, I've increasingly been interested in the privacy components as well. Um, I think that due to the state of a lot of the interesting developments like lightning and uh, liquid being recently uh, making progress too, I think that, I think that the application layer side really needs to find its niche and needs to find a user base that's, that's really engaged in using it. So like like the next the next 10x for lightning is going to be really interesting when the channels start to go from like you know 100 bitcoin in total to like 1000 bitcoin and then 1000 bitcoin to like 10000 bitcoin like those catalysts for getting those bitcoin in those channel relationships are going to be really interesting because one it's going to change the it's going to change the user like it's going to change the user dynamic into like two kinds of users people who are using bitcoin in like the lightning world and like that's where they reside is like transacting between their between their friends or their coworkers or their peers inside this L2 construction versus just raw Bitcoiners. And I think that that transition as we actually move from people who are transacting with raw Bitcoin to people who are transacting on Lightning, uh, that transition is going to be really interesting. I think there's a lot of money to be made doing that. I think there's a lot of um, I think I think whichever Lightning company or whichever um, whichever like uh, application helps create that ramp as that, that those 10 X functions or those five X functions um, uh, will, will kind of capture a lot of value and will be, will be, uh, it'll be interesting to see what, what kind of features they look to adopt from, um, from like a fungibility side and a privacy side and such. Um I think the place, if I was a venture capitalist, the last place I'd be looking at right now uh, would be like investing in exchanges or brokerages or whatever. I think I think that that place that that space is so saturated right now, especially with um, especially with this this altcoin bonanza that's occurring. Is um, I, I I mean I think a lot of people are going to lose their shirts uh, as a result of it. Um, like every every coin you support, think about it from a security perspective. Every coin you support. Uh, increases your attack surface substantially. So I, I, I just think I think so many of them are going to lose their shirts. It's not even. It's going to be sad. Uh, I mean, it's, it's going to be sad for some people, but you know, that's just the way the world works. Um, I, I, I don't think there's anything else necessarily that I could say. Maybe. Uh, no, I, I'm I'm excited for I'm excited for mass, and I'm excited for aggregated signatures, and I think that. The best way to pound the drum right now would be going out and pushing on all of the lightning applications and pushing on um, where you can all the wallets to try and enable coin joins and other fungibility features on by default. So is that a huge engineering cost? Like how, how hard is it to do that? And is there like legal liability? Are they going to get in trouble for enabling that? 
it it's more of a coordination cost than it is a technical cost and i can't speak i'm not a lawyer so i can't speak to the legality um but usually if it's a user behavior where the user is entering into a transactional state then it's on the user so um and there's no like there's nothing wrong morally or inherently or ethically um, with striving to enhance the privacy over your own financial state or your own transactional state. If you're going to speak to the ethicalness or the moralness of a particular type of transaction um, and you're going to state that uh, a wallet or an application provider has an obligation to disallow features as a result of the possibility of a user participating in certain kinds of transactional types, um, then you're also advocating that that exact same wallet or application provider has an obligation to monitor the transactional types and the uh, output types, um, which is inherently evil and um, undermines this, the very system these people are striving to create applications for. Uh, so in the event that it is illegal, uh, and obviously ask a lawyer, uh, consider changing jurisdictions because you are describing something that is illegal, that, that is evil. Well, you mentioned the coordination costs. Is that because you have to have the same CoinJoin protocol uh, of sorts as other wallets? Uh, no, it's that... The benefits to fungibility for the specific coins and the benefits to privacy for the specific users uh, scale super linearly as more individuals participate at the same threshold. So I'll give you an example. If we had 50 blocks in a row, all create lightning channels for the same amount from, the, from different people, all who enter into the relationships for the same amount of Bitcoin, the privacy and uh, defensibility and fungibility of that condition is exponential versus just 10 people participating in it. Because now the active adversary ha is going to have to do a huge amount of cross-referencing and the amount of Bitcoin he's going to have to keep in lightning to participate in transactional movements such that he can monitor the state of the channels across all those sets it is absurd it, it's it's super it's super linear so you have a uh you have a massive increase to the uh defensibility of the state as a result of the initial coordination amongst the users gotcha uh and so in terms of pushing on lightning application developers to to get on board you know when when lnd um broadcasts a transaction using your your node does it create the transaction itself or like and broadcast a raw one or is it relying on like bitcoin d or btcd to to create it and so then wouldn't the coin join have to be done by bitcoin d rather than lnd i'm not certain about how the technical relationship works between the lightning application layer and the lightning node itself and the underlying node it's using um but i would guess that what happens is that lnd creates the transactional set and then uses core to broadcast it um so under conditions where the coordination has it's like right right now the coordination has to occur at the LND layer. So where you you'd get for example if you want a bunch of people to participate in the same multi sig, uh, they have to all participate in like a in like a ring 
or like a ring kind of um, communication challenge. Gotcha. Uh, as far as CoinJoin goes, uh, there have been implementations in the past, such as uh, Dark Wallet had a, a basic uh, CoinJoin Im- implementation. But as I remember, there there used to be quite a bit of uh, criticism of some specific implementations that people had made. Um, can, t- can you tell us about the shortcomings of CoinJoin implementations and how they can be made better? So fundamentally, CoinJoin suffers from the fact that unlike CT, CA, or Monero, uh, you inherently leak balance sizes both from the wallets you spend from and um, the wallets you spend to and um, the amounts that are participating in the CoinJoin. Um, this is why it's interesting to have um, kind of guard relays in between where you have like a federations that inside the federation then they they obscure the mounts and transactions occur inside those federation environments you can think of lightning as kind of that obscured set where the channel amounts aren't necessarily being leaked except by a very active adversary so coinjoin has suffered in bitcoin and has limited usefulness in raw bitcoin as a result of leaking the amounts and eventually uh your privacy will catch up to you especially from change and such and then there's the there's the high coordination challenge of needing to get a bunch of people to all participate in the same size transactions so what i'm stating is is that if you could get people to participate in coin join transactions on the outset of when they broadcast into lightning then that, cord- that, that high coordination bar results in a higher privacy bar. Um, and then you can have the same happen on the way back out where channel, clo- where channel closes are coordinated in a multi-broadcast fashion. Um, how you get that coordination to work? Um, well, users, users classically undervalue their privacy. Um, so because they, they just eat the cost. They, in the same sense, users classically undervalue their security. Like it's it's risk risk is hard to price, and both those are risks. Um, but if you could make it cheaper, which aggregated signatures are going to be, then perhaps we can incentivize the behavior as a result of the cost being less. Do you have any ideas on on what a UX might look like to sort of persuade a user to be using these privacy features? Uh, well, a, what a smart application developer would do is uh, you would you you. You'd make like a channel, like a channel open page or otherwise, and then you'd be like, participate in an aggregated signature, save yourself twenty five percent or whatever, and then you click it, and then it's like, well, your amount was incompatible, but we could, if you could change it to this amount, this amount, or this amount, and if you don't mind waiting fifteen minutes, um, then you can participate in an aggregated signature. Like, do it like super clean. I don't. I, I mean, you and I could have a conversation about how like I could try, but like not. I, I it could work. I, I, I could see it working, and then you could have, uh, you could prompt anytime someone instantiates a, a channel, you could prompt say your user base or a, a portion of your user base uh, with, hey, someone's trying to someone's trying to craft an aggregated signature. Um, are you interested? Like, if if you could, if you it, like creating a channel or splicing into a channel right now would result in privacy gains for everyone would result in cheaper transaction this this time for you and uh you know yada 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 so i like it, it's it's all about user engagement and such i mean personally personally i don't have a very good relationship with users i'm much more 
I'm much more of like a, I understand how companies operate and I understand how companies think. Um, but I, I could get how maybe that could work. Pierre, you look thoughtful. Um, yeah, I was, I'm trying to think of, uh, what to talk about next. <laughs> oh God. Uh, uh, well, I mean, we, we can get into, uh, what we were talking about with regards to the block size limit and, uh, whether, well, there's two, I think there's two things. First of all, coming from our discussion about lightning, um, there's, one half of people who think that Lightning is going to reduce the number of on-chain transactions, and then there's another half of people who think that it's going to increase the number of on-chain transactions. Uh, do you agree with either? I think it's going to do both. Um, it necessarily will attract certain types of people who um, who want to transact frequently uh, or consistently with other people who are in in lightning so those for those groups um it will decrease their uh on-chain use because they will participate uh externally via lightning but then at the same time there will be people who a take up those people's space that they, they, they left on chain because now transactions are cheaper as a result of the the fall in demand and b um Actually, yeah, that's that's actually just both of it. Um, so, the question then is, if you're talking about increases to total demand, uh, which occur over time as a result of Bitcoin meeting its, you know, sound money properties, um, assuming as you onboard people more and more into Lightning, the, and you have constant demand in Bitcoin. Um, then it's not necessarily a problem under conditions where you have a well well ordered exit or well ordered closes from uh, from when lightning exits. So there's there is a theoretical total cap, assuming you don't have um, channels with infinite lifespans. I don't actually know if we support infinite lifespans. Do either of you know that? Can a lightning channel have an infinite lifespan? I, I'm not sure. I would think not because couldn't you have a permanent loss of funds if you do that? Um, well, no. So it has an infinite lifespan, but you can close it at any time. So that's what I'm asking. Um, okay. I, I actually don't know. I should actually ask Mark. But it, it, assuming it doesn't, that means a channel must close. And then if it must close, then even with well-ordered exits from Lightning – and constant demand from Bitcoin, there is essentially a maximum threshold of total number of users that can occur that can occur in the in the Bitcoin network. Um, it, I mean, you can have like multiple multipliers like factories and adder, adders like brokerages or single hubs. Um, but I mean, those are just multipliers. It's still big O in. I mean, if you're asking like, how do we get more scale? you have you can't like at a certain point because we have such strict um controls on purpose or uh optimizing for censorship resistance unless you're willing to sacrifice censorship resistance um it's not really in anyone's best interest uh to to add more raw scale so i mean but the i think the the devil's advocate would say that uh increasing the you know, all right, so we don't have a one megabyte block size limit anymore. We've already increased it with SegWit. Uh, couldn't we 
increase block sizes at the margin some more uh, without it affecting Bitcoin's decentralization and censorship resistance. Can you repeat that one more time? Sorry, I was texting Mark. No, that's all right. Um, so the last proposal we had for increasing the block size limit was to just double it. Yeah. But, you know, that one could argue that two megabytes wouldn't have been the end of the world and that we could have continued having censorship resistance uh, and decentralization with that bump. But even without going to doubling, you know, having marginal increases of 50 kilobytes a quarter for 10 years, you know, that seems like to me that assuming that the, the hard fork is not contentious and everyone just upgrades and everyone's happy with it, that would not affect decentralization. Um, okay, so those caveats are not <laughs> – those caveats are never going to hold up because some people are always going to be upset. Uh, but more than that, um, I would state that one, you don't have any guarantee necessarily that technologically you're, you're entitled to keep doubling. Moore's law ended like six years ago, um, seven, seven years ago. Um, transit transistor density does not equivalent, uh, equate to faster raw validation speed. Um, so fundamentally fully validating transactional sets inside a Bitcoin block doesn't scale. It just doesn't, just doesn't scale. It's a, it's a linear or at best, you know, quasi linear function. Uh, So unless you want, you know, FPGA clusters validating Bitcoin transactions, and then that's a full node, uh, you, you can't keep doubling. Can't. Well, even uh, while my argument isn't, can we keep doubling? It's, can we, increase it at the margin, you know, 50 kilobytes per quarter uh, without, uh, because I think we're already, we're, we're far away from needing FPGAs to do validation. It's not like we're on a threshold. No, 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 I, no, I understand. So, um, I mean, sure, you can do it, but there's like the political will to do so plus uh, the reasons why you would risk consensus plus or modulo the fact that what are you actually gaining for said thing are all like massive, massive, not only political and philosophical debates, but it's 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 like, what are you doing this for? Are you doing this for another 20, tra- 20 transactions? Like, come on, like, what are we, like, what are we doing? Like it's another fifty transactions. Like no, like no, no one is ever going to stand up and try and champion that and convince everyone that it's a good idea. It's just, it's just not, it's just not a eh, no. Now we can go to straight to thirty-two megabytes instead. Yeah. Oh my god, no! Everything would, everything would, Bitcoin would instantly die, instantly die. Like I think, I think if we had done, I think if we had shipped. Hearns, Gavin's, or Garzik's hard forks. I think Bitcoin would have failed within like <laughs> like two weeks. I think Blue Matt was telling me about something like that. Like I think if we did Gavin's, like it would have taken one transaction. If we did Hearns, it would have taken like eight blocks of transactions. And if we did Garzik's, then it would have taken one transaction. <laughs> it's just like guys, like <laughs> come on, sound stewardship. Come on. Uh, well, I, I don't think that Garzix would have gotten one because he had a bug, so it never even uh, would have launched. 
<laughs> I forgot about that. You're right. Didn't uh, didn't he do like a two a two X and it like failed like six hours before? Yeah. So I mean, they had called it off right <laughs> uh, officially, but when people did try to run it, regardless, uh, there was an off by one error, and so he, he never hit the block that was needed. And then he he released a hot fix uh, that morning. Uh, without any testing or anything and told people to run it. So probably not not sound stewardship there. So this is after months of planning and, and work. Wow. Well I I mean the the hot yeah. The hot fix the hot fix is even worse. I mean you're not you're not you're not you're not a Bitcoiner if you're running, you know, some patch that's released four hours, you know, after a hard fork was supposed to occur. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Who are those people? Putting aside the incompetence, uh, we we also we've been having this debate as to the cost of on-chain transactions and businesses that built a business model around having very inexpensive on-chain transactions uh, being unable or unwilling to transition to this new world where there is fee pressure, there's a fee market, and transactions are. You know, right now it's a nickel for a basic transaction, uh, but in December when we had, you know, a, a mania going on and everyone uh, moving coins around, got upwards of fifty dollars uh, per transaction, and there's obviously some spillover where people started using Litecoin uh, to move value around. Uh, do you think that? Lightning will be mature enough when there's another fee spike so that the substitution will happen on Lightning Network rather than on altcoins. I don't actually agree that anyone was moving any value on, on, on Litecoin. And I still don't think, I mean, maybe you can argue some of the altcoins do it now, but uh, it's extremely limited compared to what Bitcoin moves. Um, it's not... Uh, if your application is so dependent on cheap transactions that the fluctuation of Bitcoin uh, due to current concurrent demand um, hampers your transactional state or your, or your, your ability to do your business, you might want to evaluate your business plan. And fundamentally, I seriously doubt that any of the time damp stamping services or any of the other um, any of the other you know functioning businesses, any of the ones that are like reasonably competent, um, are just you that like they've 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 migrated to Lightning or they're using some sort of aggregated signature function anyway, like um, because a multisig could sign for what two hundred separate. Uh, parties, 252 or something. So any timestamping service could just aggregate, if it actually had demand, okay, could aggregate 250 of its timestamps and pay a nickel a piece or 10 cents a piece. You know, so it's not like, um, I, 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 I don't, I don't buy it. I think, uh, I think those are people who are clamoring for uh, attention or, or, Paid shills, or in some cases, probably uh, trying to get people to, uh, to to see that their product is cheap, and as a result of it being cheap, they should use it. Uh, I'm more of the proponent that people pay for quality. Like, um, you you don't you don't you know 
you don't go to a three-star Michelin restaurant, see that there's a line to wait at the bar despite the fact that you have a reservation, and be like, nah, fuck it, I'm going to Jack in the Box. Like, they don't, those are not, those are not equidistant fucking claims. That's not how a person, that's not how a rational economic being operates. You're not just like, yeah, I'm going to spend a thousand dollars on this meal today. Actually, no, I want a Big Mac. Like, it's, they're not, so I, I don't, I don't, I don't quite, maybe I'm not in a place or I'm not of a mindset where I can understand someone who hyper optimizes for cheap versus quality. Um, but if that's the case, I also then don't understand who the fuck their clients are. Like, who's the client of the person who's like, yeah, I'm using this service because they use best in class timestamping, uh, immutability services, but Nah, it's fine. Those got a little bit costly. I'm comfortable using something that I'm comfortable using the McDonald's of that of that now as well. Like I, I, I don't get who those people are. Well, I think they underestimate how many people get drawn into Bitcoin for the sound money purposes and thinking about it in terms of uh, like long term savings and stuff like that. I, I saw, you know, in in my personal sphere. Uh, people getting into Bitcoin as Bitcoin was was skyrocketing, and they totally got that. For one, Bitcoin might go down, you know, probably will go down, and it did. They also totally got, you know, when I simply explained, like, well, more people are using it, so the transaction fees are a bit higher right now. Uh, they totally got it, and it was like, well, you know, it's worth it because I'm putting this money away to to hopefully be worth much more in the future, um, and. Uh, you know, it, it didn't phase them at all. While people arguing against that basically seem to think that people only come in because they want the cheap transaction fees. Well, in, in all fairness, like there was, I guess now we know what percentage of people did come into Bitcoin for the cheap transaction fees. So that's the same percentage that went out to go to Bitcoin Cash. It was like 10 to 20 percent generously. No, see, but that, that, but that's it's not like that. That argument is nonsensical, and I and I talked, I've talked with Roger about this for like ten hours. Like that, you cannot, without loosening the sound money guarantees and the strict rule adherence to the game, um, you cannot guarantee low transactional costs. The game eventually has expiring inflation. Okay, as a result of that dynamic, you must make up for the expiring inflation via fees. So that means if you have any kind of if you have any kind of demand whatsoever for cheap transactions, it will be filled instantly, and price for transactions must rise. So it, it that is like this weird pseudo logic that falls apart under any kind of conditions where you analyze the state of the game in the long run. So that either requires the Bitcoin Cash or you know any any other low fee alternative either relax its conditions on security has persistent and infinite inflation uh, which is it makes it useless like why would you ever hold this asset if it has infinite inflation um, or um, uh, and, and those those are the only two options so or, or or they're lying to you like so that's one of the three so they have ever yeah well if if they're thinking short term yeah but if you're thinking short term like okay I mean sure like. I'm going to run this business for six months, 18 months, four years, uh, and it's going to work. And then suddenly at the end of that time period, I'm going to have to tell all of my clients that I'm uh, that this business is no longer feasible or that we have a 300% increase in fees. Like you're still – my favorite story about this 
is uh, with the uh, Red Cross and the United States Army with the free donuts and free coffee. So this, the, the Red Cross used to give the United States Army, I think it's the US Army, it might be the Navy, but uh, used to give United States Army of officers and soldiers free donuts and free coffee for like 40 years. And it was because of World War II. And then they started charging them like a dollar. Okay, So it went from infinite demand for free coffee and free uh, free donuts to like a dollar. And not only did demand crater, like literally went to like zero, but now the army hates the Red Cross. Okay. Like or the, the the soldiers at the time were like, oh, fuck them. They, they started charging us for donuts and coffee. So there's, you're going to have that shock. And I much prefer that we avoid as much as we can because Bitcoin has an eternal September problem. I much prefer that we avoid spontaneous political costs. So I much prefer that every Bitcoiner understands, guess what? Fees in Bitcoin can be $50. They can be. Just make sure you optimize for your spending for your spending timelines so that you don't get hit by that supply shock. Uh, I much prefer that we deal with those costs than punt and then you know, suddenly have to tell our customer base or our client base that, oh, shit, uh, sorry, that expectation you had for how this system operates, that actually didn't hold under all conditions. Uh, you know, if you read deep in the technical documentation, that's how the system operates. But that that's not really the case right now. Sorry. Uh, yeah. So basically, you want to make sure everyone has a prepare for the worst mentality. That's the entire up. That's the entire functioning of what Bitcoin is. It's it's designed to optimize for people who understand the conditions of what constitutes the sound money. So strict rule adherence, fixed scarcity. Although you can argue scarcity comes from strict rule adherence, but you can have strict rule adherence for an inflationary currency. But we have yet to see something like that. And an understanding of you will do better in the game the better you understand the rules. So. A really obvious example of that is if you don't understand how your wallets work, you can have your Bitcoin stolen from you and you haven't done very well. <laughs> so get the wallet inspectors showing up. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, the biggest problem. And I think the Bcash splice or splinter or whatever you want to call it was kind of like a, a, a boiling and a, a, an encapsulation of this. It was a group of Bitcoiners who had a fundamental misunderstanding. Let's set aside the ones who are just chills, political pundits, and like you know people who are just trying to promote themselves. But the Bitcoiners who actually ended up following that group, uh, they had a fundamental misunderstandings about the guarantees that the system purports to have and does have as a result result of strict rule adherence. Uh, and as a result, they bought into the thing because they like those things. Now. I don't think that those things are possible in this world. Like, I don't think that you can have a sound money that has zero cost. Like, I don't think that that's possible, but they do. So they followed someone else's vision that has that idea. Um, am I sad that they're gone? Not really. Uh, do I think that some of them over time will realize they've made a mistake? Definitely. Um, do I think that the dynamics of that system uh, will start to show their cracks over time? Certainly. 
do I own some Bcash? Yes. So like, I don't really, I mean, it's a win-win for me, but I mean, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. It's ridiculous. The, the worst tragedy um, in my mind though, would be someone who uh, made that mistake um, and sees that the, the people who did sort of understand those fundamentals, they continue to succeed. But then that person who went down that path uh, then believes that the whole project failed uh, despite it having succeeded because it didn't conform to their misunderstanding. Well, so this is where it gets more philosophical and maybe normative. The problem is, is that if you have a fundamental misconception about the way in which the world works, you can often, the cognitive dissonance you feel as a result of the disjointed nature between your perception of what's going on, the interpretation you have of what's going on, and the actual thing that's occurring, that disjointedness often results in outcomes that are Dunning-Kruger-esque or lemmas of Dunning-Kruger that are that they, they have they have byproducts and externalities and costs on how those people move forward in the world. Um, so if your interpretation of of Bitcoin was, oh, humans are going to get a free to use um, sound money, you misunderstood like basic English in, in the white paper, which was that under conditions where inflation eventually tapers, fees make up inflation, which is the opposite of free money. Like it, it it's literally like a, it's a disjointed, like supply demand curve. Like it's, it's not a, it's, it's not, I, I don't see, I, I can understand how someone who had the white paper explained to some to them by someone who had that interpretation, whether you know real or not, could have had that uh, perception of what was going on, and then been like, "What the hell? Why is someone trying to change Bitcoin?" But if you can read English, it's not it's not a fair interpretation of Bitcoin. So what I've heard is they'll say that the the volume of transactions with a very, 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 very small fee, if we have a large volume and add it all up, then that will be enough to offset the reduction in, in the uh, block reward. That's fine. Go use Ripple. Go use something that has centralized node software. Like the, the That is a perfectly acceptable trade-off under conditions where there are not active and passive adversaries that will know that a Bitcoin block is a 400 megabyte blog that blob or whatever size that that volume entails. And hey, that ISPs stop relaying those. Done. Like censorship resistance of the network is gone. Uh, nodes, there's like 10 nodes. Um, and every one of them gets a subpoena that says, hey, if you allow transactions from any of these addresses, then you go to jail, you go to jail, you get a fine from $100 million. And suddenly the system has gone from sound money with censorship resistance to, oh, it doesn't work. Or, oh, it's useless. Sure, you get your free transactions, Pierre. Pierre, you get your free transactions. Uh, you can you can you can spend as many uh, dice transactions from your known address with your known ID associated with your tax record and where you live and how many walks you take a day and your you know where your cell phone is right at the time and what your wife's doing and where your kids are and what schools they go to so all that can be associated along with your money balances but hey you get your a quarter of a penny transaction 
the other argument I've heard is that uh, a, a company, say like Walmart, would be uh, relying on Bitcoin so heavily for all of this that they would eat into their costs. You know, the part of the cost of doing business would be uh, adding some hash power to the to the network to make sure that transactions would be able to go through. So miners only follow consensus. They don't lead it. Uh, that's a demonstrated property of the network. Unfortunately, so yeah, further distribution of hashing power is great. But we're not talking about distribution of hashing power. We're talking about distribution of node structure. So if the cost of running a node in compliance, whatever the fuck compliance means, right now compliance in a Bitcoin in the in Bitcoin is like no one really knows. You kind of want you kind of want to ensure that you're on the same page with all of these other dudes. No one really knows why, but that's a, that's a good idea. Okay, so everyone does that. But in a future where you've suddenly changed block size to like 200 megabytes, so you can fit the entire population of India's transactions in Bitcoin or whatever. Uh, now it's like, well, you know, if I want to relay a block and have it validated in under 10 seconds, I've got to have this $100,000 FPGA cluster, okay? And I've got to have paid for gigabyte fiber, okay? And have a direct line to every other full node. Suddenly running your own full node is just like, holy shit, who's going to run their own full node? Like 10 dudes, and then like these big companies and big companies are vulnerable to subpoenas. Big companies are vulnerable to, to hacks. Big companies are vulnerable to political corruption. Big companies are vulnerable to, to malfeasance. Uh, it, it, it's just not – that is not a world where the properties of censorship resistance hold. That's a world where the properties of censorship resistance and strict rules get undermined. Literally too. <laughs> yeah, that was that was way uh, – that was uh, I, I I get poetic. I don't mean to. I'm just just trying to explain. <laughs> uh, all right, so I'm glad we we got that rant in. Uh, so I love that. Uh, and now, without without calling or without questioning the value of anyone's life, uh, can we talk about Ethereum and the problems we have <laughs> well, with Ethereum? No. So look, look, look. I I, I, t- I talk about I talk about this often. Like, I think that if Ethereum were to die in a fire today, okay, the world would be a better place. Okay, why there will be a lot of short term pain, and I mean I I I have a relationship with the SEC. Like you know I I I, I tell them these things. Like there will be a lot of pain today, but ultimately the world will be a better place. Why? One, it's the number one platform in the world for scams. <laughs> so, now, if you're going to say, hey, that's a good thing. ICOs are great. Sh- sure. Like it is possible. It's feasible. It's very difficult, but it's possible and feasible for you to run a legitimate ICO. Legitimate in the sense of the same company could have raised money through normal venture capitalist means and has a chance of success resulting in the investors in that scheme having a return. Okay. The problem is, is the majority of these schemes that are being put on Ethereum have zero chance of returning any material value to anyone except for the founders of people who sold out their coins. Okay. None. Like they're they are not business models that will survive. They are not business models that hold up to scrutiny. They are not business models that will ever be profitable. Why? Super, super, super simple. The majority of business models in the world are more efficient, 
more effective, cheaper, and easier to deliver to users when they're centralized. So why would you add distribution, <laughs> decentralization, whatever that, that, that means, and you know a, a, a distributed means of delivering the same thing that right now is being delivered in a centralized fashion. Now, if your argument is, oh, it's great. No, the, it's, it's competition. They're going to compete against these users. Okay. You can make some philosophical or economic argument that additional competitors in a space are going to be able to compete. But the problem is they're not even competing on the same footing. They've hampered themselves by adding a insulatory decentralized layer process in the means in the way for their customers to actually get access to the product. So they haven't they haven't competed on the same footing. Like if you made a decentralized or distributed Lyft or Uber, you're not competing against Lyft and Uber. You're competing against other distributed Lyfts and Ubers and Lyft and Uber crush the distributed Lyfts and Ubers because the cost basis is so much lower. Like you're never going to win. You're not going to be able to convince the user to use your distributed Lyft or your distributed Uber when the cost of using your distrib- your distributed system is twice, four times, ten times the, the, the cost basis. It just doesn't work. The only reason why Bitcoin makes any sense, because Bitcoin has tons of costs associated with distribution and um, censorship resistance, is because sound money is a useful thing to have strict rule adherence and distribution for censorship resistance. For the vast majority of business models, adding those two things, assuming you even get them with Ethereum, which you don't because they've demonstrated several times that they have no, that they have no real interest in strict rule adherence. Um, you don't actually even get those conditions necessarily, but adding those conditions to your business model to attempt to compete against centralized entities is oh, – it's dubious at best. Like it's just like what, like what are you hoping for, guys? You're hoping for some kind of decentralized revolution where the people like have a kumbaya and like sit up. And, like we're all going to triple our cost basis so we can, we can disintermediate the middlemen. No, middlemen are convenient. Middlemen are cheap and middlemen have customer service. I don't buy it. And so, you know, with Ethereum being like a platform for all of these, uh, well, what arguably are unregistered securities and whatnot, and people are buying Ethers to then go buy their favorite ICO, and then the ICO sits on the Ethers because they can't find developers to work on whatever they created, or, you know, they, they can't get a banking relationship or anything like that, but... How does this all unravel? Because we recently saw a post that made the point that it is already unraveling in the sense that the number of Ethereum nodes is dramatically dropping due to its inability, you know, what we were talking about earlier, the, this doesn't scale unless you centralize. Um, and that's kind of on the technical side, but we haven't seen that translate on the economic side into people having a crisis of confidence. Uh, I, I'm seriously considering... Um uh, because of my network, I'm actually seriously considering putting a lot of work into getting some FaceTime with the SEC so I can actually you know, sit and explain with them what's going on and why the system is a security and why it promotes securities or unregistered securities. Um, I have to actually find the the will and the effort to do that because, you know, I have a life too. So like I, <laughs> I'd have to like fly and like meet and like it's a huge pain, but I'm seriously considering it. I think... If Ethereum or any of its major cohorts gets registered or gets classified as an unregistered security, I think the game ends or 
comes crashing down very rapidly. Um, if Ethereum is classified as an unregistered security, it has to be delisted from all the exchanges globally in like 30 days, maybe 90 days. Um, uh, and that's just because the SEC has like the longest arm in the world. They will just arrest everyone. Like they'll, they'll just arrest everybody. Um, so, but don't we want this to fail on its own merits without having to have the government come in and shut it down? Um, so it will. Like the the thing is, is it takes it, you have an informational asymmetry. So you have a system that's useless by design. Okay, it's useful for one thing: prototyping how a blockchain might work <laughs> in theory. Okay, or in hypothesis. Okay, and then if you prototyped it and it was like, oh wait, this might actually work, you would immediately never use Ether. <laughs> You'd scrap it and start from scratch using like a strong federation, maybe Tendermint. Like you'd start from scratch and you'd build it in Rust or you'd build it in C plus plus, and you would begin again and pay the money upfront so you didn't trust a steaming pile of basically JavaScript. Okay, with a whole bunch of you know, who knows. Um, and so you aren't associated with, with that, you know, kind of possible risk. So what use cases might actually hold up to that? And I'm, and I'm, I, I always say that the only case where you actually need a blockchain is where there's many competitors who are sometimes counterparties. So there, there maybe are a handful of actual use cases to do that, but if, what it's being used for ether right now in a lot of cases is what it's being used for is showcasing how internal it upgrades or how security or infrastructure upgrades inside industries that are not blockchains but are inside industries how they might be useful that's not the purpose of this system it's if if the system's being used to prototype like how uh shipping can have like how shipping could be more efficient if they all use the same interface there's no reason why the shipping industry would end up using ether it's like an expensive uh, ultimately hard capped doesn't scale version of like a, a, a nightmare of the 1980s okay uh, there's there's no reason why it would end up using it they they might prototype it but then if they have anyone with a brain they're gonna be like wait a second why wouldn't we just roll something that's more secure uh and has better just computational trade-offs um so i i, I the information the information asymmetry there is the hype train that Vitalik and Evil Lubin started uh, is that they they brainwashed or kind of they, they convinced a large enough group of people who were just technically savvy enough and just well-connected enough to be in a position where they understood that this technology or technology in general had the potential to change things. Um, they, they convinced them that the that the method of that change was going to be ether when in actuality the underpinnings of reality make that impossible okay or in the event that it does happen it's a nightmarish future okay <laughs> uh that trade-off so the the collapse condition where the undermining of that fable with the uh the components of reality are uh it it, it 
the market's irrational. Like that, that could take years. That could take tens of years. Um, so I, this is one condition where I, I am a major proponent of people stepping up and putting in the effort to actively undermine that system um, through whatever, but not not through whatever means necessary. Or at least I wouldn't do it through whatever means necessary. But um, um, I, I, I I'm a major proponent of. Of it's you have an obligation to society. You have an obligation to your fellow man, your fellow woman. Uh, you have an obligation to your nation, even uh, to uh, to stop that which is not in your best interests. And we're talking about a system that is actively promoting scams, uh, dilute actively diluting people. People are walking around actively diluting people. Um, like they're 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 profiting off the ignorance of others. There and the fundamentals and the characteristics of the system don't speak to an actual improvement for anyone except for those who are selfish enough to to take uh, to to take those means to to use those means. So I I, I I'm I I'm shocked that uh, that some people are so blasé or so passive against uh, against the system's operate the system continuing to do what it does. Like it's actively in. It's actually it's it's evil. Ethereum is an evil thing. It's it it, it actively is undermining society. Like it's not a good thing. It's bad. It's so bad. Well, it's 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 facing competition now. So people are talking about EOS, which explicitly has twenty one designated validators, and so you're already you're just admitting it's going to be decentralized centralized, you know, like XRP, uh, and from the get go, and you go that way. But um, so doesn't that mean that even if Ethereum gets shut down, we'll just have, like, obviously, you know, uh, this argument could be used against uh, taking action against any evil, but other evils will crop up and continue to fill that information asymmetry. So, so I'm, uh, I, I'm fine with that. So like what will happen is Ether gets classified as an unregistered security. The foundation pays a fine. Vitalik, Lubin, and all the people who participated in it are banned for life from ever participating in, the regist- in registering a security or uh, per- performing in an unregistered security action ever again. So now all the, all the people that are, are Ether are banned from participating in raising money. Okay. Thumbs up. Um, banned from being a director in a company ever again, banned from participating on a board ever again. So done. Like those people are done. Like can no longer participate in the governance of a company or a distributed or a distributed protocol ever again. The SEC can do that, which is amazing. (laughs) Uh, then you have, uh, that the classification of ether doing that it then, not retroactively, but then the, the SEC can apply the same uh, reasoning to all the other securities or all the all the other approaches that take the same approach. So EOS or whatever all get applied. Litecoin probably even happens to Litecoin, unfortunately. Uh, maybe, may, maybe. Um, and Monero, may, maybe. And then what happens is, is you have uh, Zcash, definitely. Um, you have commiserate effects that occur as a result of the requirement that they be registered as security or be in non-compliance. Um, all the exchanges that have to change their dynamics as a result of the needing to be in compliance. And then the coup de grace, the 
because the SEC, the CFTC, and the United States Treasury have all come out and stated that Bitcoin is not to be regulated by the CFTC or the, the SEC, uh, Bitcoin's not subject to those uh, those conditions. And we go back to the game where it actually is the actual reality, which is Bitcoin is the only, and then maybe Monero and maybe Litecoin, uh, the only attempt humanity is making at making a sound money, and all these other things are just companies, okay? which is actually what it is. So companies. And the dynamics associated with companies and their specific products, and then the things trying to free humanity from a, an inflationary government-mandated uh, future. On that note, we'll, we'll close today's episode. <laughs> I think that's perfect. That's fine with me. And yeah, it's, we're, we're uh, heading to an hour. Michael, did you have any uh, quick follow-up questions? Or? Uh, no, that was uh, <laughs> interesting enough. I'm going to have to chew on that. All right. Thanks for coming on, Johnny. Where can people find you on, on the internet? Uh, I'm, I'm a ghost. You can't find me. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll have you back on so that uh, listeners, if you have questions for Johnny, send them to Michael and I. And uh, if we find them to be worthy of our time, we'll ask Johnny uh, next time he's on the show. And we can create a second Google result for Johnny Dilly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right, uh, so go check out um, Noted Podcast. Uh, subscribe if you have not already subscribed. Uh, go to the uh, Satoshi Nakamoto Institute. Read everything that Satoshi wrote and a bunch of other cypherpunks wrote. Uh, we've got a large archive put together by the one only Michael Goldstein. All right, thanks, guys. Till next, next time.